All righty. Good morning, One Church. Happy Easter. How many of you got your smartphones? Let me see them. Go ahead and pull them out because we're going to be in God's Word today. That app you just saw, the Bible app, you can search for that on Uversion, and you can follow along with our notes. We have some questions on there. Um, and uh, next week, we're going to uh, have a number on the screen so that you can text in questions so that you can interact uh, with the teaching. So uh, today, we are starting a brand new series that I'm so excited about entitled Getting Past Your Past. And um, it's going to be a really, really good uh, a series because let me tell you what we're talking about is we're going to be talking about next week how to forgive. Now, if you have never, ever been hurt, if nobody's ever hurt you or nobody's ever been mean to you, I'm going to give you a free pass. You don't have to come next week. But I would probably say, and if you're three years old or up, somebody has done something mean to you. And one of the biggest things we're going to be talking about next week is how do you get over that? I mean, how do you not just continue to live in the past and allow all that anger and bitterness to just poison your life? That's what we're going to be talking about next week. The week after next, I'm really excited about because we're talking about what happens when you've done something wrong. You know, it's easy for us to say, well, somebody's done something to me and we play the victim. But what if you have messed up? And what do you need to do to go ask forgiveness? And it's my prayer that that week that marriages would be restored, that friendships uh, would be able to come back online, and uh, we would have a really, really good time, uh, and God would just move in a mighty way. The week after that, we're talking about how do you get past your failures? How many of y'all have ever felt like a failure in here? I have, all right? And we're going to be talking about how do you get past some of the biggest problems that you've done. And then the last week... Our family pastor, Joel, is going to come out, and he's going to be talking about how to move forward. How do you get past all this stuff and move forward? So I'm really excited. Today, I am talking about this. Does anybody know what's in my hand? A label maker. Exactly right. A label maker. And the whole premise behind this, we like making labels. You know, we throw labels, and we punch labels up here, and all of us... We, I mean, we buy stuff with labels, and you don't buy stuff because it don't, doesn't have the right label, right? I mean, I totally remember that, being in middle school and high school and not wearing those jeans because it didn't have the right label, right? Or, or not wearing that shirt. Um, today, I want to kind of just launch in on this, and I just want to ask the question, who has the right to label something? Think through that. Who has the right to label something. I think three different types of people. The first one is manufacturers. Manufacturers, if they create something, if they make something, they have the right to label it, all right? Some of you, in fact, I think all of us have clothes on, praise Jesus, right? All right, we all got clothes and we bought those clothes because they had a label. Now, let me tell you, uh, clothes that I normally wear, they're not as hip or cool. The label is found on the inside, all right? But if you buy, like, really expensive clothes, they put the label where? So that everybody can see it, right? Everybody, so that you know, do you see what I got? Right? I mean, they, they will put it, I will totally remember being, like, back in the late 80s, early 90s when I was a teenager, and Banana Republic was all that, right? And I remember wanting a Banana Republic t-shirt. And at the time, they put the Banana Republic t-shirt, the label, inside. So I'm like, uh-uh, I'm going to flip this thing around. I'm going to wear it out so everybody knows. Banana Republic, with the size. I'm just saying, all right? So, but manufacturers have the right to label something. Let me give you another. Uh, If you are an owner, an owner has the right to label something. 
I mean, how weird would it be for me to come into your house this afternoon and get my label maker and I start labeling stuff? TV, right? Plate. And you're like, what are you doing? I'm labeling stuff. And you're like, you can't do that, right? Because I am not the owner. Owners have the right to label things. Let me give you another person who has the right to label something, and that is the purchaser, all right? Um, one of the things that we, many of you guys have, you have those person. how many of y'all have a personalized license plate or ever owned a personalized license plate? Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil, all right? How weird would it be if you bought a personalized license plate and you snuck, you snuck on a car lot and in the middle of the night took off the front license plate and put your personalized license plate on there, right? If you did that, you would go to jail, all right? Just saying. I mean, some of you, um, I mean, like, you're like me. The only chance you're ever going to own a Beamer is if you sneak on a, you know, a car lot in the middle of the night and put on Chris's Beamer. That's it, right? Because, I mean, you just can't, you can't label something that you have not purchased. Now, let me ask you another question. That's kind of fun. But this next question is pretty serious because this next question has the potential to shape your entire life. Your willingness to embrace the correct answer to this next question will determine the direction and the quality of your life. And here's the question. Who has the right to label you? Who has the right to label you? Because we all have labels. All of us do. Some labels that we've given ourselves... Some labels have been slapped on us at an early age. Some labels have been slapped on us just last year from other people. Let me tell you, I got my first label when I was in third grade. My mom and dad are crazy highly athletic, all right? And my mom is good at, at, at like, basketball. When she she actually played basketball around this area, how many of y'all ever heard of Pat Head Summit? All right? If y'all hadn't heard of that, y'all need to get out more. All right. She is the most winningest coach in NCAA history when it comes to basketball. And she is the head coach of the women's team of the University of Tennessee. All right. My mom went up against Pat Head Summit. All right. And I'm not going to tell you if she won or not. I'm just saying. But she went up against Pat Head Summit. I mean, she would go out and everybody would chant her name. I mean, she was the first string. She was amazing at basketball. She was amazing at softball. I mean, I remember she did like church softball leagues and they like won state. I mean, she was the fashizzle. My dad is amazing at, my dad is amazing at athletics. Let me tell you my athletic career. It began and and ended on the same day. (laughs) Third grade, I remember going out for little league baseball. All right. And the first thing, and it had rained the entire night before I was over here. I went to, on Mathis Street, Barksdale Elementary, went there and they put me up to bat. Right. And I'm like, oh dear Jesus, you know, I'm scared to death. I'm this skinny little frail kid. And I know, just use your imagination. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm, I'm up at the plate and, you know, you know, they throw and I close my eyes and, I, and it, and it connected. Dear Jesus. I mean, I was like, ah. I started running to first base. About that time, my pants fell down. My shorts did. And my tidy, and, I, and I fell, and my tidy whities got all in the mud, and they weren't white no more. I know, right? And that everybody laughed, and that was the beginning and the end 
of my athletic career. So the first label I got was not athletic. All right? And uh, it was kind of a bummer because, you know, I realized that no band geeks ever get the cheerleader. It's the jocks. All right? If, how many of y'all are jocks in here? See me afterwards. Whatever. All right. Anyway, <laughs> let me give you another, an, another label I wore. And it's this label right here. And it's called Duck. And it's because of the way that I walk. Um, I don't walk normal. Um, I, one of the things that I, I have really flat feet. In fact, if, I'll just go ahead and take it out since we're being this close. I don't know if you can tell, but I've got no arches. All right? I've never had any arches. And uh, I always had the, my leg problems. They were kind of, they're supposed to be, you know, most people's legs are like this. And my legs are like this, right? And I should have had braces and all that stuff. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, never did. Never got the doctor to do that. And I walked like a duck. And I remember everybody just making fun of me about that. And it was just so, it was, it was so disheartening. It really was. Let me give you a, another one. And this was, this was because of the whole duck thing. And that was not attractive. You know, when I went through middle school and high school, man, I, I, man, I, so, I so wanted um, to have somebody to love me. And not just my parents, because they kind of have to. You know how it is. You want to have somebody else that, like, wants to be around you. And man, I struggled through that. And I felt not attractive. Until I got into uh, high school, my first semester in high school, I got another label. Uh, because it was there, I was a pretty good student. I'd done fairly good, um, but I'd not hit um, high school algebra yet, who I think is from Beelzebub, the devil. Um, and I remember taking high school algebra at my alma, my alma mater, Clarksville High School, and I got my first F on a report card. And that made me feel not smart. And, I, man, I just, and I got a 69. I was one point away from a D minus, one point away. But I felt like this. I felt like a failure. And as I go through life, and that's just through my high school years. I could go through college. I could go through graduate school. I could go through my, my first job, my second job. Just, I mean, all the, we all wear labels. Now, let me just ask you a quick question. Do you think how I viewed myself not athletic, not attractive, walking like a duck, not smart, failure. Do you think these labels I placed on myself and other people's placed, placed on me, do you think it impacted the way I looked at life? Yeah. Do you think that it impacted the way my attitude and kind of how I went through school and how I kind of connected with other people? You bet. Do you know how many, time, how many times I asked a girl out when I was in high school? Zero. Why? Because these labels. Let me tell you, the way you look at yourself, the way other people look at you, many times I think maybe we're carrying around the wrong labels because our principle, our principle today that we're looking at, here's our big idea, that if you believe a lie long enough, it becomes true. If you believe a lie long enough, it becomes true. Let me tell you, if you believe that you're not attractive long enough, you will always see yourself as not attractive. If some of you, if you kind of took some psychology classes, this is called a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
But basically, it's how you see yourself, even if it's a lie, if you believe it long enough, it has the power in your life to control you. And some of you, the way you viewed yourself, the way you continue to view yourself, it impacts your relationship. It impacted your first marriage. It's impacting your second marriage. And it's going to lead to a third marriage that will end in divorce. Because if you believe a lie long enough, it will always become true. Why? Because labels are powerful things. Labels lock you in and they lock opportunity out. The wrong label can lock you in and lock God out because labels determine how you see yourself, how you, how you interact with the world around you. We all wear labels, but the labels that we wear placed on us from people, placed on us from parents, placed on us from teachers or even ourselves. But the, what if we're wearing the wrong labels? Today, I want to look through a, a guy who literally was wearing, wearing a huge, big label. Bigger than any of mine. And bigger than any of the labels that you're wearing. As bad as your past is, as terrible as you think you have messed up under this life, I'm telling you, this guy had a, a nastier, uglier, bigger label than you're ever wearing today. Let me uh, paint the picture before we dive into the Bible. Because... We're going to be looking at the context of Jesus being crucified. And, you know, we call the day he was crucified on Friday, Good Friday. But if you were the one getting crucified, there was nothing good about it. Because it was a horrific, horrific thing to experience. Let me paint the picture. The scene of Jesus' crucifixion, what has happened is that the religious people hated Jesus. They hated Jesus. Why? They were jealous of him, and Jesus hung out with people who were not religious. Some of you, if you're here and you're not religious, let me tell you, Jesus would love to hang out with you this afternoon. But the average church person, the average person that we kind of drift through life and we kind of think we're better than another person, Jesus kind of really bucked up against religious folk. But I'm telling you, as we kind of go through this, the, the, these religious people were just, they brought up trumped up charges. And they wanted to kill Jesus. Their own laws would, said they couldn't. So they decided, you know what, we're going to create, we're going to create this trumped up charge and we're going to get the Romans, and the Romans were the one calling the shots anyway. The Ro- we're going to get the Romans to kill him. And that's exactly what they did. Here's what a historian named Quintilian, this is what he wrote about crucifixion. Whenever we crucify criminals, very crowded highways are chosen so that many shall see it And many are moved by fear of it because all punishment does not pertain so much to revenge as it is to set an example. Let me explain what would happen. During that time, if you were convicted of a crime, if you were convicted of of being a murderer, of killing someone, if you were convicted of stealing from someone, of planning an insurrection or a terrorist plot, if you were convicted of these things, what they would do was they would take your charge and they would write it on a piece of wood. And whatever you were convicted of, murderer, thief, adulterer, whatever it is, they would write that on here. And what they would do is they would hang this sign around the criminal's neck. And what they would do is they would parade this criminal down Main Street, whatever city you're at, down the busiest street. And this criminal would have two things on him or her. 
the criminal would have the charge against him or her and the horizontal beam of the cross they would be eventually killed on. So you would be taking this horizontal beam, march down through the crowded streets of Main Street, and along, around your neck would be adulterer, thief, would be murderer, whatever it is. And what they would do is they would parade you through the crowded streets so that everybody would know and look and say, that's what happens when you commit a crime like that. They would lead you outside of the city, and there they would take that horizontal cross, they would nail your hands, they would hoist you up, they would nail your feet, and then they would take the sign off and they would put it above your head so that everyone who's looking around would say, if you murder someone... That is what happens. Now let me tell you, what they did in Jesus' day, what they, the trumped up charge they thought up of him was, wasn't that he was a murderer. They couldn't get anybody to say that because he had never murdered anyone. It wasn't that he was a liar. It wasn't that he was a thief. The only thing they could come up against Jesus was this. And look, here's the verse right here. Matthew 27, 37. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. Here was the charge. Here's the only thing they could come up against Jesus. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. That's what this says. In fact, they would write this in three different languages. They wrote it in Hebrew. They wrote it in Latin. And they wrote it in Greek. So that anyone, it doesn't matter what side of the tracks or what country you're from, you would be able to know that is what happens to somebody who claims to be king. Because the only person who's king in this region is Caesar. Now here's the thing, and we're going to see about this. He claimed, Jesus claimed to be king. That would be a punishable offense if it was wrong. What we're going to see is Jesus claimed to be king and he was king. That's amazing. So as we dig into this, we're going to see what, what Jesus was crucified for. But look what it says in verse 38. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on the what? R- left and one on the right. On his right side and on the left. Now the Greek word for robbers here, on the robbers here, this is in verse 38. The Greek word for robbers here doesn't just mean somebody who's down on their luck. It means somebody who, if you, if you had a choice between right or wrong, they would choose wrong every time. This was someone who always engages in brutality. Um, it means somebody who is always bad. Somebody, it wasn't a good person that made a bad choice. It was a bad person being consistently bad. Some of you know people like that, don't you? Some of you have done work and done life with people like that for you. I mean, the, the, the state of Rome had given up hope on rehabilitating these two robbers beside Jesus. The only thing that they could do to them is to kill them. There was no hope. Look what it says in verse 34. Jesus, it continues with the story, and Jesus says, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. What he's saying is, as the people are killing Jesus, he's praying for them. We're going to be coming back to this next week. Great verse. But as they are killing him, he is praying for them. While hanging on the cross, Jesus starts talking to God, and he's asking them forgive, to forgive them. Now, think of me. If anybody had the right not to forgive, it was Jesus. Because Jesus... 
He had never done anything wrong. He was innocent of all wrongdoing. He had never told a lie. He had never had an impure thought. He never was unkind. He never did speak from anger. He was, the Bible says, we're going to look at in a couple of verses, says he was perfect. He was without sin. And he says, forgive them. And I'm sure these two guys next to Jesus, if they could scratch their head, they would say, forgive. What's that? They've never been shown any forgiveness, never been shown any grace, never shown any mercy. But there's this man dying beside them, offering forgiveness to the people who are killing him. Look what it says in verse 34 of chapter Luke. Jesus said, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders laughed and scoffed. They said, he saved others, they said, let him save himself if he is really God's chosen one, the Messiah. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine and they called out to him, look at this, if you are the king of the Jews, remember that's what was on his label, his sign, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A signboard was nailed to the cross above him. With the words, this is the king of the Jews. That was his sign. That was his label. And it was a big label. Everyone is hurling insults at Jesus. And one of these career criminals dying next to him decides to get in on the game. Look at what it says. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. Huh. So you're the king, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And us too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you're dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man, what? What does it say? That's it. He's not done anything wrong. Hasn't done anything wrong. This career criminal, this person who has always chosen the wrong path, who deserves to be crucified because of his failures, his sin, this person is saying, we deserve to die. We did wrong. But this Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. Verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's thinking, okay, this guy is being crucified for being a king got to have a kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus makes this incredible statement by saying, buddy, where you, where I am going, you are going. And hear me on this one. This criminal couldn't go to church. This criminal couldn't give, drop money in the offering bucket. This criminal couldn't get baptized, couldn't do anything. He couldn't commit. He couldn't do anything good. He was at the end of his rope, and he had, he had nothing to offer God. And that's the point. Do you know that you don't forget forgiveness? You don't go to heaven because you got better or tried harder? Some of you are here, and maybe you're like, you know, okay, okay, I'm going to come to Easter. And I'll see you on Christmas. And that's cool. You're more than welcome to do that. But let me just tell you this. You think that by doing that, that's going to get you to heaven. It doesn't. In fact, let me just tell you this. Um, You can come for 52 weeks out of the year every Sunday here. In fact, some of you, you're here every Sunday. And and if you never come to church here, they got to be here because they're more jacked up than you are, right? 
I'm saying some of you, you're like, ne- you're sitting next to a person. You need to grab your purse and close it. I'm just telling you, there are some really strange people here and I'm one of them. All right. But what I'm telling you is this, it's not about me trying harder. It's not about me going to church more. It's not about me putting more money in the offering bucket or me praying certain prayers or me attending certain religious events. It has nothing to do with that. That's not how you get forgiveness. You can't be good enough. Because really, how good is good enough? I mean, do you, is there certain bad things that you can do and there's certain things that, you, I mean, you, the really bad things you can't do? Or what if I just think really bad thoughts in my mind, but I never do those bad things? I mean, how bad and how good is good enough? The point is, it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that because this criminal, was, God was able to relabel him. Some of you, you got labels. And it may be some of these. It may be others. God can take your labels and relabel you. Because that's what he did for this criminal. Why? Because God's power is bigger than your past. God's power is bigger than your past. Think about it. This criminal, he he wore a label that he deserved. He had done wrong. And, and, And you may have a label that you deserve as well. So do I. But I want you to understand that what's true about you today doesn't have to be true about you tomorrow. God can change you. God can change you. I believe that with all of my heart that the power of God is going to speak to many of you and he's going to take what's got you all labeled up and through God's power, through Jesus, it's going to become just broken. In fact, I like how 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. Paul writes this, all right? Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, this means anyone. Everybody say anyone. Okay, the, you, some of you, you may not know this, but the, the Bible wasn't written in English. This part was written in Greek. And the word, the Greek word for anyone, you want to know what it means? Anyone. My point is this. It doesn't matter how bad your past is, how true it is. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've come from, uh, whatever label you wear. It doesn't matter because anyone who belongs to Christ, look at this has become a new person. The old life, what does it say? Is old life is what? Gone and the new life has begun. Let me tell you, some of you, that can be you this morning. You've got an old life and you got labels and you've got all of this junk in your past and God is saying, listen, that can be in your past and you can have a new future. I love that. I love that. The power of sin that's held you back can be broken. And that goes to the question we asked at the very beginning. Who has the right to label you? Answer, no one has the right to label you. Let me pull it in. Not even you have the right to label you. Your friends don't have the right to label you. Your mom, your stepdad, that teacher in second grade. No one has the right to label you except the one who created you and who purchased you. Some of you know this. Let me tell you, when you purchase something, you get something in return, right? At least hopefully you do. Jesus died on the cross and purchased us and he has the right to label us. Only he has the right. 
Do you know that your life will be radically different than most people if you spent the rest of your life refusing to accept these labels and accepting the label that our Heavenly Father has for us? If God gives you a new label, here's what's going to happen. He gives you a new label. He will also give you a new name. Everybody say new name. New name. I love what Isaiah says about this. Isaiah chapter 62 verse 2 says this. And you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. That's what it says. Some of you, you've been held back by something that you believed. And that's that whole premise. If you believe a lie long enough, it will be true. God's saying, it's not true anymore. I'm going to give you a new name. Let me give you a couple of examples in the Bible. There was this guy by the name of Abram and Sarai. Abram and Sarai. Sarai was 90 years old. Abram was 100. And they didn't have any children. But God had made a promise to them. And here's what it is. The promise he made to them was simply this. You are going to be the father and mother of a great nation. And they're like, huh, right. Right? I mean, how in the world are we going to get to the thing that we need to get to in order to be able to have children? Right? I mean, seriously, think through that. You'll get it. Okay? All right? So, but God says, no, no, your name is not Abram and Sarah. It's Abraham and Sarah. And he changed their name to mean the father and mother of many nations. And that's exactly what he did. I love their great-grandchild. By the way, they had a child. Their, their, that child was named Laughter. How would you like to have that for a name or a label, right? All right? Th- that son, I, uh, Isaac's son, Jacob... How many of y'all have ever heard of a guy named Jacob? Maybe like you went to school with him. Don't trust him. Because the word Jacob means deceiver or swindler. In fact, if that's your name in here, you need to be renamed. I'm just telling you. There was a guy in the Bible named Jacob and he lived up to be a swindler and a deceiver. But you know what? God stepped in and gave him a new name. And the new name he got, his name was Israel, and it means God will prevail. Another one, this is found in the book of Judges, but God, uh, he, he meets this guy by the name of Gideon. And Gideon is a big, fat coward. All right, He is yellow from the word go, and all of these guys are beating up on him and his people. And God shows up and he says, hey Gideon, mighty warrior. God named him and renamed him and labeled him. God will give you a new name. Let me give you some new names that if you... If you step into a relationship with Jesus, what he will give you. The first one is this. You will be accepted, Romans 15, 7. It also says in Romans 3, 24, you will become the righteousness of God. You will become a child of God, Galatians 4, 7. You, your name will be forgiven. That if you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins. You will be forgiven. You will be, he will give you the name overcomer. And so much of your life has just kind of been living under circumstances and people just dumping mess on you. And God saying, what are you doing under there? I want to make you an overcomer. He gives you, some of you ladies, you feel like you don't measure up. You feel like when you look in the mirror that you, that you don't have the perfect picture of what the perfect woman should be. And you, I mean, you got, and you're a mom and you feel like you, you just never do measure up. Let me tell you, God is saying that with his help, you will measure up and you will exceed. You will be an overcomer. He will give you a new name. Secondly, though, when you're in Christ, he will give you a new future. He will give you a new future. 
new future. Here's what it says. Some of you, you're pessimistic about your future. But here's what it says. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you. Now, just stop right there. What's so cool about that? God knows the plans, which means I don't. And you don't. Who knows the plans? God does. So if you want to know the plan that God has for you, you're going to have to get hooked up with God, all right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a, what's that next word? Future and a hope. Just keep that up there if you would. Let me tell you, that word future is the Hebrew word hakarit, and it literally means this, after, later, behind, and following. Now, that's kind of crazy. You would think future would mean future. It does mean future, but it means this, that what is behind and what is future have the same source. Let me, let me explain it this way. It's like... It's like going forward in a rowboat. How many of y'all have ever been in a rowboat? All right, cool. I asked that 9 o'clock service and nobody raised their hand. I'm like, seriously? You guys are going to have to get out. All right, in a rowboat, all right, if I'm sitting in a rowboat and I'm rowing this way, I am going this way, but which way am I looking? Behind me. See, I'm moving forward, but I'm looking behind. And what's so cool about that is this. God can take our past... And turned it into a wonderful plan for your future because we don't need to be obsessed with the junk in our past to get on with living a good future. But this is so cool. What's behind and where you're going have the same source. And let me just say that this. If you have been divorced, all right, God's not saying, I just don't, I just want you to forget all of that. No, no, no. God says, I you want you to remember it because you're going to help other people who went through really bad divorces. You know, you feel like you've been labeled as this or that word or this four-letter word. God said, listen, I don't want you to forget it, but I want you to know you're more than that, and you're going to help somebody else who's an addict. You're going to help somebody else. You're struggling with this. You're going to help somebody else who struggles with that same thing. And I tell you, I was listening to a guy today who, who shot a baptism story, and we're gonna be, he's going to be baptized in two weeks. This guy, he was molested in an early age. And that just took his, his life down a path that he did not want it to go. But I tell you, he is here today and he's saying, I want to help other people who have experienced that same pain. And some of you, your biggest pain, the biggest struggle that you have, your biggest label, God wants to say, I want you to help other people take that label that you wear and peel it off. I want you to help them peel it off because they are more than just abused. They are more than just an addict. They are more than just any of that other stuff. They can become a child of God. God wants your story to change other people's stories. No one has the right to label you except your Heavenly Father. As we close, let me just say this. I Just imagine, if you will. Imagine what your life could look like and could be like if you could stop seeing yourself by all of these other labels and imagine how you could see yourself, how God sees you. Imagine how your life would be different. Imagine that you would no longer purge because you and your body would be good enough, that you would be accepted, that you would be okay. Imagine that you would no longer run to that addiction because 
that's not, that doesn't define you. You are more than alcohol. You are more than drugs. You are more than pornography. You can change with God's help. You can change. Imagine what your outlook would be like on life if you saw yourself the way your heavenly father sees you. Wow. That's exciting. I want to live that life. And I want you to live that life as well. But for some of you, in order for that to happen, you're going to have to transfer some labels. You're going to have to rip off some labels that you have on yourself, and you're going to have to put that on Jesus, and you're going to have to take Jesus' label and everything that's good about him and put it on yourself. And that's what this last verse that we're looking at says. Look at what it says. Look at this. This is it. This is salvation. This is how one becomes a child of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21 says this, God had Christ who was, what was Jesus's label? Sinless. Jesus was perfect. That means because he was perfect and he was sinless, he didn't have to die. He was perfect. God had Christ who was sinless to take our, what's our label? Sin. God, Jesus, who was sinless, he had... God had my sin, all of my junk, all of this stuff on here. God had Christ who was sinless take our sin so that we might receive God's approval through him. That's what happened on the cross. There is an exchange. You see, Jesus, who is perfect, who is holy, who is sinless, when we put all of our junk on him and we say Jesus I can't be good enough Jesus I can't try harder Jesus I can't do it but you know what I don't have to do it I am giving it to you all of my junk all of my sin all of my addictions that is on you when that happens it's like God is taking all the righteousness and the goodness and all of that great stuff about Jesus and he puts it all over me That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to give your heart to Jesus Christ. And some of you today, you need to do that. You just need to to talk to God. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. You can talk to God. And you don't have to do it in King James English. You just talk like I'm talking. He understands that. All right? And you say, God, I'm a hot mess. I have really messed up my life. You call it sin... I call it sin. I am I'm junk. I'm taking my stuff. I'm giving it to you, God. And I believe in you and I trust in you that you will make me right with God. Why? Because God's approval through him. See, here's what we're going to do today. Some of you, you got some name tags when you came in. And if you didn't, there's a bunch of name tags all along the stage. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and then the band's going to come out and I'm going to ask everybody to be able to come down and I want you to write a label. Write a label that somebody has labeled you. And let me tell you, I've looked at some of the labels from first service. There's some nasty words on there. There's some junk on there of how people labeled, has labeled other people and how they have labeled them themselves. I want you to write the nastiest label you've ever had. And I want you to go... And I want you to go up to this cross and I want you to slap it on there. 
All right? And you, it's going to be, you're going to be putting it all over other labels. That's okay. And on this table right here, there's another label that I want you to take off. I want you to peel. And this label simply says, God approves. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says this, God had Christ who was sinless take on our sin so that we might receive what? That's it. How many of y'all want to be approved by God? I do. I mean, I want to stop the do, do, do of trying to always trying to be good enough and trying to go to church enough and trying to put enough money in the offering plate. And it's do this, do this, do this, do this. Let me tell you, you don't get forgiveness by doing. You spell forgiveness by D-O-N-E because on the cross, Christ said, Jesus said, it is done. It is done and you can have God's approval. Put your junk on him and he will put his approval on you. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much, Lord, that we can come. And Lord, that we don't have to be perfect because you are perfect. Lord, we don't have to try to be good enough because you are good and you are holy. Lord, that we don't have to have it all together because Jesus has it all together. And Lord, when we come to you and we put our stuff, our baggage on you, Lord, you give us your righteousness. So, Lord, right now, men and women all over this room need to see visually. It's done. It's not due. It's done. So, right now, I pray that all of our junk, all of our past, Lord, that we would put it on the cross and leave it there. And we would start to believe the truth that in Christ, when we have a relationship with Jesus, we have. God's approval. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.